Welcome back to The Proletarian Contrarian, the podcast where we reevaluate bad films through a leftist perspective. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And boy, oh boy, have we got a doozy of a film for you guys this week. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a hell of a piece of work. That's, that's what I can say about it. Yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, not a masterpiece uh, such as nope. Justice League. This week, we have for your listening pleasure uh, the 1991 drama Regarding Henry. Uh, directed by Mike Nichols of graduate fame, uh, written by your boy J.J. Abrams. Jar Jar Uh, Abrams, that's right, everybody. (laughs) Uh, Starring uh, Annette Bening, uh, Harrison Ford, and I don't think anybody else of note. uh, Well, we have one person. We'll get to that person later, though. (laughs) The best best performance in this film. Yeah, the best performance in this film. Later on. Hands down. So, regarding Henry, uh, is one of J.J. Abrams' early screenplays. It's about uh, a really uh, disgusting lawyer uh, named uh, Henry Turner. Named regarding. <laughs> named regarding Henry. <laughs> Mr. Regarding Henry Esquire. He is just awful, and uh, he gets shot in the head and unfortunately does not die. And the rest of the film is him uh, trying to regain memory, speech, mobility, uh, and deal with, uh, you know, the the family fallout of that event. Yeah, yeah, it's a real, um, it's one of those movies that are really indicative and distinctive to the 80s and 90s, and e- even the early aughts to some degree. Medical drama, the, the plot is initiated by like financial worries regarding regarding medical treatment and a rich workaholic uh, husband and father relearning what is really valuable in life through like his own personal tragedy. Um, you've seen this film a dozens of times before. Most of them aren't that great. That, that, whole, um, that whole plot structure is kind of really trite in my opinion um but regarding henry really takes the cake here it's um it's not great (laughs) yeah it is um pretty awful but let's not dwell on that in this moment uh let's get on to uh what um other people thought of this film when it uh when it was released um so in 1991 i think it's fair to say it was um it received mixed uh, acclaim. Most people kind of thought it was overly sentimental, um, fairly contrived. Yeah, it, it definitely has middling reviews. It, I, I this definitely keep keeping in in um, the spirit of our podcast. This is not any kind of cult classic. This is not um, anyone's favorite movie. It, it it's distinctly lower than average uh, reviews as far as we could find. Yeah, I think most people who saw this film, similar to like Cocktail, saw it in theaters. Uh, I don't think it's a film that gets a lot of uh, rewatch uh, in terms of like DVD sales or like DVD. <laughs> rentals at your local library um i feel like it's probably on like amc or i don't even think it'd be on turner classic movies but probably amc (laughs) like this is an amc network movie right here for sure like that's middle of the weekday amc (laughs) yeah exactly middle of the weekday not up to snuff with even like 
you know, uh, what they show at night every night, which I think is Godfather. Uh, Roger Ebert had a uh, pretty good review of it um, that I think encapsulates the film fairly well, or at least an aspect of the film, which is um, Henry's uh, rehabilitation after uh, the shooting he survives. So uh, Roger Ebert says, uh, for much of the film, Henry is an attractive, likable, simple-minded, and childlike character. But exactly how simple-minded? The movie seems to treat his mental acuity as a matter of convenience. He's childlike enough to say embarrassing things in public, but clever enough to know what's really going on and to outsmart his old law colleagues. A pattern emerges, we begin to notice, after a while, that in any given scene, Henry will possess the necessary mental development to deliver the punchline. He isn't a character, he's an act. I think what Roger Ebert is trying to say here, and which another critic, uh, Vincent Canby, also said, is that the film is fairly gimmicky. Yes. J.J. Abrams' sure. script really rests on um, these like tailored gimmicks uh, for each individual scene, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, the very nature of Harrison Ford's, uh, Henry's... Um, injury disability it's fluid and malleable enough to be as debilitating as demanded by the plot there's no real conflict that comes from his disability it's the circumstances around the the financial circumstances around his disability rather that kind of drive the plot um he's forgetful when he needs to be forgetful but then he's like ebert says he's he's acute when he needs to be acute that's definitely a script problem. Um, the directing, the cinematography, we can get into that a little bit later. Certainly competent enough. It was, it was more the very story that um, fails to live up to any kind of uh, quality. And uh, for that, we can blame J.J. Yeah, J.J. is the true villain of this film. Harrison <laughs> Ford's character, uh, Mr. Regarding, uh, has his problems for sure. <laughs> but it, it takes, uh, yeah, it takes a, a total sociopath like J.J. to think like... This is the feel-good movie that uh, America needs. Man, J.J. has it out for um, for Harrison Ford because he, he tried to kill him in this movie. And then uh, two decades later, he tried to kill him, or he did kill him in The Force Awakens. He just wanted to kill Han Solo. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the only reason J.J. got into the business, just to kill Harrison <laughs> Ford. But he didn't understand that if you uh, kill someone in a movie, they don't die in real life. <laughs> yes, he he never opened that mystery box. Um, so yeah, we're, we're going to do something interesting with this episode. Um, we are adding another segment to our typical, typical sequence of, of episode structure. We're going to have a little, little introductory moment where we talk about the truly hateful content yeah. in this movie, the stuff, the stuff that we don't like um, in an artistic and a political sense. Um, we, we are going to go on to the stuff that we do like, cause that is the main point of this podcast. But, um, in order to properly set that up for this episode, and I'm guessing in future episodes, there will need to be a small section where we briefly touch upon the, the really, truly bad stuff. So, um, and with that in mind, I guess I'll start us off with the first uh, negative aspect that we really hated, which is the entire goddamn plot <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> cause, um, like like we touched upon earlier, it, it, it's your standard archetypal rich guy finds the true value of the true meaning and value of life because a personal tragedy uh, happened to him. Harrison Ford, Henry, uh, Mr. Regarding, 
is a high-powered lawyer. He's a narcissistic asshole. He's distant from his family. He he runs downstairs one night to go get some cigarettes, and he is shot in um, in a robbery. Uh, he goes through physical therapy. His his law firm uh, engages in some pretty flagrant nepotism by keeping his job open for him. But he he's kind of like a, a more simple-minded character um, because of the brain damage he receives. He he kind of does like this whole uh, re- returning to the the naivete and the innocence of of childhood, and he learns where. He learns the value of his wife and kid again, um, but it's really it's really hackneyed. It's really it's really plodding. It's really predictable the entire thing. Um, and we we can get into some inadvertent, I guess, uh, leftist reads of of all of this, the, the class issues and the the healthcare issues that are raised. Um, but in my opinion, they, they are no means intentional, and it's only kind of a backwards reading that allows for that. But yeah, the the plot of this movie leaves much to be desired. So in sticking with um, the more egregious moments and aspects of this film for now, something that uh, we don't really want to dwell on, but uh, important to highlight, uh, there's a character played by a uh, great actor, Bill Nunn, who is uh, Harrison Ford, Mr. Regarding's physical therapist for a good portion of the second act of the film um, after uh, Henry gets uh, shot. He recoups at a uh, rehab facility in upstate New York. Uh, Bill Nunn does a great job as a physical therapist. Um, the physical therapy scenes are interesting. Uh, that portrayal of um, physical therapy on film, uh, it's something now that we kind of take for granted in these films and it's kind of like uh, trite at this point. But I think at this point in the 90s, it does a pretty good job. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about how those uh, scenes come to be and who's involved in uh, getting that kind of physical therapy work accurate to uh, real life. But um, yeah, the character that Bill Nunn plays, J.J. Uh, Abrams writes him as like this really predatory character. It's, it's, it's really racist. Uh, he just constantly is like looking at these white nurses and saying like oh i gotta get me a piece of that or says stuff like oh i got a piece of that last week yeah jj abrams had never met a black person before he met bill nunn on set. yeah it's exactly it's it's just really it's really obvious that he had no idea how to write a black character but wanted to put one in the movie thought this was the appropriate role but then yeah just went overboard with um with like trying to give this character some kind of personality but being a sexual harasser is not a personality and then also assigning that personality to a black man is i mean just historically uh incredibly racist and detrimental so uh, that's something that J.J. should have to atone for, but he never will. This is why we're <laughs> we're pointing this out. No, I mean, honestly, it's just it's really just awful. Yeah. We don't need uh, a struggle session with J.J. Abrams. Although, J.J., if you want it, we're going <laughs> to no. Yeah, come on. Come on, ProCon, J.J. We're, uh, we'll hold your ass to the fire. And in keeping with the script problems, another thing, another issue with the story that I, that I found really crappy was um, I don't really feel sympathy for the family i think this is kind of more of a of a 90s thing um 90s thing in movies like an affluent family whose struggle and drama and sacrifice um 
is the way it's depicted and in the way that we can surmise just from what we're given on screen. Um, it's really not that much of a struggle. I mean, yeah, Henry is shot in the head and he has brain damage and he has to go, go through rehab, but all of his material needs are met. His emotional distress is just due to plot contrivances. It's not due to any true conflict. And as a result, we're, we're left with no real sympathy for any of these characters. Um, there, there's a real lack of stakes, of tension, especially when so many of the ostensible issues facing them are strictly due to money, but their their conception, the family's conception of of sacrificing or living in austerity is a hell of a lot better than 90% of the people I know in real life. When when you can't feel any anything for the main characters, that's not a good sign for a movie. No, not at all. Yeah, I um there's definitely a, a better way to make this film and it's putting it in a different milieu. And uh, I think this is just the milieu that J.J. Abrams knew, honestly. Like, his parents have, were in the entertainment business. He grew up in entertainment business. So, yeah, I think this is what he knows. Right, right. And a little plot complication that happens towards the end of the movie is um, Henry, who, who, of course, is dealing with uh, long-term memory loss. He finds out that his wife, uh, Sarah. Uh, no, yeah, uh, Sarah. Sarah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, Sarah. And, Ra- and Rachel is the daughter. He found out that um, Sarah had had an affair with his law firm partner. And of course, this happens in the last like 10 minutes of the movie. It's, it's ridiculously tacked on. Um, he, he storms out the door. He, he goes to find himself. He, he quits his job. He has this big coming to Jesus moment. But then he finds out because he, he forgot that he had also had an affair with another law firm partner. Although Sarah and Annette Benning had made this tearful confession to him when he confronted her, Henry, Henry's uh, takeaway from learning that he had had an affair as well uh, is to go back and forgive Sarah, but he never tells Sarah that he had had an affair also. It's this real uh, blatant double standard that's um, very 90s, very 80s and 90s too, because it's like his infidelity retroactively justifies uh, Sarah's infidelity. Um, and therefore, that that makes them quote unquote equal. That makes them more okay. It's this weird sexually patriarchal conception of fidelity and like a transactional nature of of trust and in love. Um, and it really left a bad taste in my mouth because on, on screen, at least, he never tells his wife that he had been unfaithful before his uh his shooting and just just really kind of fucked up sexual politics yeah also this scene comes after like one of the most awkward sex scenes in film history (laughs) not directly after uh there's a few scenes padding between but yeah there's the sex scene coupled with this is just uh rather unfortunate and and in general i think all these uh, plot contrivances uh, really they highlight the fact that J.J. Abrams was really just trying to stuff as much as he possibly could in here uh, to give this film meaning but I just don't know if he has like a concept of of meaning and thematics unfortunately he just really goes overboard with some stuff Uh, especially the there's a court case that bookends the film basically the film starts with a uh, a court case where uh, Henry is defending a hospital against a a medical malpractice suit brought forth um, by an elderly gentleman, um, very enfeebled looking guy in a wheelchair, doesn't have any lines throughout the whole film. The whole court case is that uh, he's suing because he says that he told a nurse that he had diabetes, but the hospital says that's not true. And I'm not sure exactly what happens, but in the beginning of the film, Henry argues that he's actually an alcoholic, so whatever 
uh, he probably didn't say he didn't tell them about his di- diabetes, and uh, he's he deserves to I don't know what happened to him, but die, die. I guess. I mean, that's really <laughs> yeah, that's the end game. And then in the end, it's like all wrapped up in a neat bow because he finds his morals by becoming stupid, basically. <laughs> yes. But basically, JJ just writes this very pat conclusion where the reason that Henry actually litigates in favor of the hospital is uh, just breaking of the rules uh, by these evil lawyers um, blaming these individuals where obviously it's this systematic injustice. Uh, So again, it's just J.J. Abrams not really understanding the world uh yeah, describing yeah. his own uh silly capitalist conceptions of things yeah the whole the whole case falls apart at the end because harrison or henry again with his uh malleable and and convenient uh brain injury um disappearing for him to do some legal detective work he finds out that the defense um, of the hospital was uh critically flawed because the patient had in fact told a nurse that he was diabetic as well and then he runs off and he he gives the evidence to uh the patient's wife and all all is forgiven because he as an individual undid the individual immorality of his of his unscrupulous law partners when really um as as lewis said this is more of a systematic thing a systematic issue of um of the legal system but of course jj doesn't see it didn't write it that way yeah and also uh the scene with the the old man's wife and harrison ford is just hilarious like at first she's very like combative she's like oh why are you here are you kidding me you're gonna rub salt in the wounds and then he's like oh take a look at this we lied and then she's like oh (laughs) okay you're great now it's like that's it that's it and then you never see her again and and then that's you just yeah that's the movie so springboard enough of that we can jump into the stuff that we supposedly appreciate about <laughs> this movie. Uh, like like I had like I had been kind of uh, hinting towards earlier. Um, this movie is like the medical drama or, or the uh, rich guy or wealthy guy finding what truly matters in life drama. Um, the plot hinges upon the the difficulties of, of funding healthcare that that's pretty explicit in the plot. Sarah, Henry's wife doesn't work and she, she doesn't know basically if, if Henry doesn't recuperate in time, they won't be able to maintain their standard of living. That that's a big part of the, of the, um, the conflict, I guess in a kind of a backdoor way, this, this movie highlights that real world issue in a way it's, it's completely unintentional, but um, I mean, the, the reading's there, so I, I guess it's valid. Yeah, I, I think it's there. Um, there's a few scenes in a hospital in New York City uh, in like an emergency room mm. where uh, Harrison Ford is brought in and Annette Benning is sitting in the waiting room. And there's like, I don't know if this is true or not. I don't know if this is how it looked in the early 90s. But like in the waiting room itself, <laughs> there's like people whose like heads are busted open. Like there's people <laughs> yes. just like bleeding everywhere it's like a yeah. combat zone it's like a it's 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 really absurd um first of all to think that like i don't know they wouldn't bring him to like a different hospital because he has like money or something um but they yeah they just bring him into mm. like this um, this emergency room yeah there there's even a sign that says like emergency room fee 100 dollars. like right as as annette benning walks up to the desk i mean if that's not class politics i don't know what it's like <laughs> 
the inciting incident of the film, uh, the shooting, um, that also highlights some of the class tensions in this film. Uh, again, unintentional. I don't think JJ had any interest of actually uh, shining a light on the uh, the stratifications of life in uh, New York City, but he he did to a degree. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Henry uh, is shot uh, at a at just a bodega. Basically, he runs to get cigarettes because their maid didn't buy them for him. Uh, and he gets super angry at that, uh, gets down to the bodega and, uh, there's just these two people sitting there. There's, uh, the, uh, soon to be shooter, uh, who I'm going to keep it open here. We'll tell you who that is at the end of the movie, at the end of this podcast. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise guest guest. Star. The best cameo, actually better than JJ Abrams cameo, which is a dog shit cameo. Very true. But, uh, yeah, so he starts yelling at the bodega owner and this individual because he just thinks they're kind of like you know, slacking off. Um, he has this problem throughout the whole film where he like just is really rude to service people. It's how we know that uh, Mr. Regarding uh, is is awful in the beginning of the film. Yes. And then he just yells at like anybody who's like brown or a service person. Yeah. And then that's when the gunman pulls out a gun, says, give me your wallet. And he's like, what? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm rich. I don't have to. Uh, and then he gets shot in uh, like the heart. It looks like he gets shot in the heart. Honestly, I thought it was like, oh, it's the end of this movie. That was quick. <laughs> awesome. It. Uh, he deserves it. Yeah. Uh, and then he also gets shot in, in the head, in the frontal <laughs> lobe. So I really, I remember like just seeing, because it's not too graphic, but there are like bullet holes. And I thought, how how do they explain yeah. this one? I mean, I guess like if it if it's like a Saturday night special kind of like cheapo gun or something, it wouldn't necessarily penetrate a skull, but it it was really dumb cuz like this little hole appears in his forehead and then he just like falls over. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm no gun expert and uh it's yeah, it's not like they they're having he doesn't have like the shooter doesn't have like hollow point rounds. He's not blowing holes in him by any means, but uh it's still <laughs> It's 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 kind of it was kind of strange to see just the practical effects that they did, and then to see the rest of the mm. film and say, ah, yes, this man is still still kicking, still alive <laughs> after all of this. But back to the class politics of it. Um, he says he's gonna run around the corner to the bodega. So I mean, like literally, this bodega in this more seedy area is right around the corner from the high rise that they live in. Yeah, which is very new york very go one block this way go one block that way things look different yeah it, it's literal stratification of class the literally if you live above the street you're you're wealthy and, and you live even if you share a block with um if you share a block with this kind of seedy liquor store bodega you can still rise literally rise above them yeah, so that was that was interesting, but it's it's something that's definitely glossed over in this film. And that another thing that's glossed over in, in that same vein is the healthcare politics. As as we've said, the much of the conflict deri- is derived from uh, Sarah's presumed up in imminent difficulty in in affording their lifestyle while also funding Henry's rather extensive um, rehabilitation process. Of course, like, like, like we've, we've said before, uh, there, there is no real tangible 
a sense of imminent conflict from this because they don't really change their living situation all that much. Um, in fact, uh, rather notably, one of Sarah's friends that she talks to um, tells her, oh, I, I advise, I suggest that you go out and just spend a lot of money with your friends. That, that's how you should treat yourself for, for, for your trouble right now. But regardless, it is there. The issue of having to pay for healthcare is there. Even a very affluent hotshot lawyer like Henry, the fact that an extensive enough uh, injury would cost someone that much of their of their uh, capital to address, you kind of can only really write that plot in, in the United States in a contemporary uh, time period right now. Privatized healthcare is... is a thing that affects everyone even if you're really well off and uh it shouldn't (laughs) quite frankly yeah and and regarding his job as a lawyer nick had mentioned earlier that the law firm keeps his job open the possibility that he can come back his boss is like really magnanimous about it but it's mainly because like nepotism basically he he mentions knowing his father a few times so i think in, in in a respect the film is also like a pretty accurate depiction of like rich waspy assholes yeah. in that in that sense all of his his law firm buddies are like these super wealthy people who talk about cool things they do on their weekends <laughs> and they just and they're also like really like snippy with each other and they just um very gossipy there's a scene where uh, rachel harrison Ford's daughter uh asks are we going to be poor now because she heard yes. like one of her uh schoolmates talking about that behind her back and her schoolmate had heard it yep. from uh her mother so it's like you know all these people who are friendly with each other but um just sniping each other left and right yeah it's a real like american psycho thing going on like these people are completely vacuous and they have no lives and um i mean i guess points for points for reality as far as as far as my experience goes anyway good job jj (laughs) you got something right there yeah another another thing that jj got right is um or rather another thing that he he got consistent with the rest of hollywood um is it's a very tired Hollywood trope, the idea that like um, basically everything that we've been describing leading up to this, a a well-off, privileged person, uh, the only way that they can become anything remotely approaching a human being is to suffer some kind of personal tragedy and grow from it. Uh, th- that is a trope as old, if not older than Hollywood itself. But kind of to be honest, to bring my own personal politics into it, I don't necessarily think that's completely untrue. I, I think people are insulated by privilege when they have it. They're insulated by wealth and, and other forms of socioeconomic privilege. The way that that is often broken through for, for individuals, the way somebody, someone's own politics can change um, by breaking through that insula- insulated layer of privilege is when they do suffer a personal tragedy that is kind of how it happens in real life. And um, despite the hacky nature of writing a film about that and, and how predisposed that kind of story can be to to hack writing, I don't want to call it praxis necessarily. I don't think it's really it's really radicalizing anyone to to hold the the rich and the privileged to account for their for their wealth and riches or for their wealth and privilege. but um it's not completely off base either. And yeah, that's kind of uh, it for what we liked about this film. Uh, it's a short <laughs> section this time around because uh, it, uh, it it sucked uh, a lot, even more than Cocktail. And I wasn't the biggest fan and, of that and one. We were, and we were generous in this one. We, we were really 
really giving in this episode for stuff that we liked. But um, but there are a few little tiny uh, things that we we wrote down in our notes here. Um, you know, stupid shit like uh, Rachel, the daughter, has a Game Boy Classic <laughs> in one episode, which in one little scene, which is kind of neat. It was cool to see that. Um, Harrison Ford's rehab doctor, his name is Doctor Marks, which is hell yeah, which is good to good to represent. <laughs> um, at the end of the movie, when they take Rachel out of her uh, school, this like oppressive looking school. Um, the headmistress is played by uh, Nancy Marchand, who is Livia Soprano. Mm. So that was pretty oh, awesome. Yeah. She's literally in it for like two seconds, as maybe <laughs> uh, she says maybe ten words. But uh, I was it was a cool moment to recognize her. I'm glad she got the work for the half hour that she was on <laughs> set. Um, oh yeah, and I guess I guess we could. Um, oh, we we should mention they got they got a dog, which is cute. Like a cute yeah. little beagle or something Buddy. like yeah. when 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 he- yeah when henry's like wandering around the city and like his his brain addled condition he he buys a, a puppy for his for daughter and the, the dog's cute buddy the dog which is uh, uh this this is the big reveal buddy the dog was the only good actor that we really liked in this movie <laughs> <laughs> the only good performance that we really took away um and i guess that's our cue to jump into the uh workers of note section for this movie um so start us off with uh, Buddy the dog actor. Buddy the dog. Uh, Buddy is not his actual name. His name is Dennis. Uh, uh, he Dennis. Is a, <laughs> he's a trained beagle. Uh, I think he's actually, I, I found like some really uh, janky looking website that looked like it was made in <laughs> 2000 that was about Hollywood beagles. Awesome. Um, awesome. And they said that this beagle was a show dog. And then it was in a few movies. Uh, I'm blanking on the other names of the, the other films, but yeah, who, yeah. who gives a shit? Who honestly? cares? <laughs> uh, his performance in this was great. Uh, he was super cute uh, at the end of the movie when they're leaving. <laughs> I think it's actually the last shot when they're leaving yeah, the is. school. They bring the dog with them for some reason to like cheer the daughter up, I guess. And uh, mm-hmm. as they're leaving the church where they're having some kind of service uh, where Nancy Marchand is yelling at them about something. Yeah, it's really weird. It's like a it's like a cult introduction, like a cult session for their weird repressed private yeah, school. It's, yeah, it, and it's like only maybe like the first. Yeah, I think it's like the first day of their private school. I don't I don't even know how many days she stays there, but it's it seems based on the scenes prior that she's maybe only there for a day. Uh, and as they're leaving, um, like the beagle is just kind of like jumping up on them and being like really happy. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, good job, Dennis. Uh, good boy. Another <laughs> um, another um, worker on this movie that you picked up was the editor Sam Osteen. Sam, yeah, Sam Osteen. A lot of the scene transitions you you put down were were pretty good, and he had quite the long career with with Nichols um that's right isn't it yeah he had done a few other films um I think I remember seeing uh on IMDb that he did um Carnal Knowledge which was another uh Nichols film I believe from the 70s didn't he do Chinatown yeah yeah he did he did Chinatown not another Nichols film but um I mean he was nominated for Chinatown um Silkwood and uh, I can't remember the other film but he was nominated for three Oscars uh for editing yeah, yeah, and uh, you, you, another 
kind of really, in my opinion, more interesting story behind the film than, than the actual film itself, but the real-life inspiration for this for this character. There are a few technical advisors, but the most interesting technical advisor, really the only one I could find any information about, as it so happens, his name is Tom Frost, and uh, I'm just going to read from his obituary. He died in 2011. But um, so his obituary says in 1978, he was the victim of a head on automobile collision, which almost ended his life and sadly ended his career as a lawyer. The accident caused severe damage to his body and his heart actually stopped beating for several minutes. As a result of this, Tom suffered from a short term memory affliction. Uh, And then later on in the obituary, it says in 1991, Tom was the technical consultant to Mike Nichols and Harrison Ford in the movie regarding Henry, whose storyline closely resembled Tom's life. Also, parts of that movie were shot at Burke Institute in White Plains, which was where Tom did his rehabilitation. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy that this man's life is so similar to uh mr henry uh mr regarding i you know i don't know if jj abrams had saw a story about this man and then said okay i'm gonna write it because i couldn't find any interviews with jj abrams uh from 1991 and i don't care anyway um but (laughs) i mean he must have right like it it directly inspired the story so someone wrote that in and i can we can we can only really surmise that it was jj yeah I don't know. Or it's entirely coincidental and uh, I don't know, just somebody, you know, there's a whole slew of researchers for any film. Maybe they were just like, uh, we know we don't know shit about like actual medicine or physical rehab. Let's like see if we can find something. And then they just happened upon this man who had like the exact same uh, circumstances. Although the lawyer bit is a bit like too coincidental. So uh, yeah, yeah, maybe JJ just stole from this man's life and they had to cast him as a technical advisor or he'd sue. So. <laughs> Yes, he would sue. Uh, he would he would get Mr. Regarding's um, law firm up on, up up on the phone, and he would have sued them with them. <laughs> A couple of the other technical advisors were Dr. Rick, Richard Fraser, Dr. Robert Nichols, and Dr. Bruce Volp. Um, couldn't really find anything on them. We can only guess that they they did some consulting on the depiction of uh, physical and mental rehabilitation, which, as I, I think Lewis said earlier, was was pretty pretty good depiction of that. In in my opinion, it was the only really good part of the movie where Harrison Ford did some decent acting um, when he was nonverbal, basically. Um, but the depiction of of someone going through physical and mental rehabilitation was decent. The, the movie took pains to show the, the spe- some of the specific uh, things that rehab specialists do for their patients, which was, which was neat and um, tends to be glossed over in movies nowadays, which, so I appreciated that. Yeah. And again, um, not to have this whole episode be us ragging on JJ Abrams, but JJ uh, wouldn't <laughs> be able to write the specifics of physical rehabilitation without these technical advisors um no 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 screenwriting yeah, no screenwriting would honestly like if you see any kind of um more you know uh in the weeds uh you know terminology depictions mm-hmm. of very specific professions in film it is because there's a technical advisor who helps during production, pre-production through production. Unless he was able to contact these guys ahead of time, the script probably just said uh, people do physical therapy. That's probably those. That's mm-hmm. probably their wording. Please right. don't actually find the script for this and uh, fact check <laughs> on us. Fact checking is stupid. Yes. 
Yes, we we are anti fact check here on ProCon. Yeah, I don't um, give a fuck how many Pinocchios this gets. <laughs> and um, so the last great um, actor of note that we have to mention on this movie, um, it, it's that mystery gunman, the the, the lone gunman <laughs> of, of of regarding Henry. Um, Louis, do you want to do you want to reveal the identity of the man who shot regarding? Um, I think. Uh, well, I just I think that is the actual title of this podcast episode. Thank you, the man who shot regarding <laughs> Henry. That's, uh, yes, that's. But I think we should do oh, it yeah, at the same time. So let's do a okay. countdown of three, two, one. John, John Leguizamo. Leguizamo. I can't. How do you pronounce it? Leguizamo. It's like Wazama. Yeah, okay. Luigi from the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah, Luigi Mario from yes. uh, the Mario Brothers uh, film yeah. is uh, the lone gunman who, um, at one point, even uh, Henry's uh, partner at the law firm, oh, who, yeah. was, who, was, who was the guy sleeping with um, Henry's wife, Sarah, yeah. he says to Henry, like, as Henry is like, barely uh rehabilitated at this point like the first time they see each other after uh, mm. the shooting he's like yeah henry uh if i if i would have had it my way uh, i would have single-handedly brought back the death penalty to to new york <laughs> state and i just thought in that moment i was like this is a lawyer saying this to another lawyer they both know or at least one person in this in this scene knows that you don't just get the death penalty for shooting somebody mm. that's not how it works but you know, let's, they were fast and loose with the with the uh, the the lawyer stuff, I guess, because they they spent all their money on uh, technical advisors for the physical rehabilitation <laughs> scenes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually I, I I didn't know that about about the death penalty and and what it, what warrants it, but like that that's a perfect example of why you need technical advisors on a script that's supposedly taking place in the real world, because then you have flagrant untruths like that that find their way into into your script. And I guess I don't really know the ins and outs of the death penalty, but like based on my consumption of documentaries, I feel like it's always because someone killed somebody or more than one person. Yeah, I mean, if if there was anybody that would that would try to assign the death penalty to a non-fatal shooting, it would be a rich yuppie douchebag lawyer. So I guess maybe that's like that's accurate characterization on this asshole's part, but like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So Lewis, who would you recommend this film to? Uh, and you can't say nobody. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was the, so we knew that this would be the most problematic portion of this episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's hard to say who I would recommend this to. Uh, I'm going to take the easy out and just say fans of the actors involved being, uh, Harrison Ford, Annette Benning, And you know what? Fuck it. I'm also throw if you're a fan of John Leguizamo. If you want to yeah. see every film that yes. John Leguizamo has ever been in, you have yes. to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's a true he's a true working class hero in this one. He even though he's trying to rob a poor conven- a poor convenience store owner, he sees a better target and he takes out his aggression on on the wealthy. So good on him. Hell yeah. And if you are a fan of John Leguizamo and you're trying to see his whole filmography, you're in luck because he doesn't come back after the shooting scene. So you can literally turn this movie off. <laughs> and you should. Honestly, you should. That's And, um, and you should. But if you're fans of Harrison Ford, Annette Bening, Bill Nunn, and then... I, there's some other character actors i don't remember their names exactly oh of course livia uh soprano mm, yep. nancy uh, marchand oh uh, the the dude um the guy from the weasley 
uh cowardly guy from independence day um in yes in in the president's cabinet the one who's like oh we should run and we we should surrender to the aliens and maybe they'll be like maybe they'll show I us mercy am, i am so glad you said that because i actually wrote a note about him <laughs> yes uh i gotta open my notebook here for that yeah that that, um, act, that actor plays the doctor like like the, the surgeon or the doctor or whatever that that talks to annette benning um after or, or, or before Harrison Ford wakes up from his coma, he's like, oh, you see, he got shot here. He got he got shot here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so he's his name is Dr. Sultan, which is the dumbest <laughs> name. Uh, Dr. Marks and Dr. Sultan. Dr. Marks and Dr. Sultan. Uh, so the actor, I even wrote down the, the name of the actor. Uh, James Rebhorn is <laughs> okay. his name. Um, yeah, great character actor. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, the line that I had to write it down was, he said, if you're going to get shot in the head, that's the way to do it. <laughs> There are some real, there are some real like, great one-liners in this movie. Yeah, um, but again, if you're interested in seeing all of his films, you get to shut this movie off very quickly. Yeah, that, that's the second um, stage. That's the second like waypoint where it's like, hey, stop, stop, stop the film. No more, no more past this point. Um, yeah, but that's all I got. Who would you recommend this movie to? Well, you took the easy answer, so I guess I'll take the the stretch answer. I guess if you're an aspiring writer or an aspiring, um, I guess, screenwriter of any kind, th- this movie has a really good example of um, the value and the implementation of getting technical advice on a pretty complicated subject and how to incorporate that into your movie. The rehab uh, portions of this movie are some of the only good parts or... Um, the way they depict rehab in a thoughtful and fairly accurate manner to reality is worth watching for for how to do that, how, how to incorporate some kind of really technical and confusing stuff into a piece of art or a piece of alleged art. It's important to remember that filmmaking, perhaps more than any other medium that I, I can think of right now, is truly a collaborative process. There, You, you can find avant-garde and student examples of like of like one-man productions or something but um filmmaking is, is very communal based it, it is it involves teams and teams and teams of people um for, for in most cases and um i guess to be fair to jj if we're gonna if that's gonna be our point we can't really put all the blame on him but um but we can put a lot of the blame on him so we'll do that yeah if you're listening jj this was early in your career we apologize uh, for some of the things we've said. Not all. Um, Not all. Uh, if you will go publicly on the record saying that um, your TED talk about the mystery box was utter bullshit, then we will go on the record and apologize for some of the things we said. And I think on that note, we may as well end this episode. That's the perfect way to end. Yeah, I think so. Thanks for listening. Um, we... Hope you will listen in the future uh, when we do other better um, movies, <laughs> better or worse, because we're going to there's going to be worse ones out there than this than this steaming pile of dung for sure. For sure. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. See you then. Listen, if you don't speak, I don't know what you want. All you got to do is tell me anything you want. All you got to do is make the call. This is like room service here, man. You ever been to a hotel? So what do you want, cheeseburger? Huh? No, no, no. You like caviar and shit like that, right? Cool, man. Just just tell me you want caviar. Come on, say caviar. Caviar. What? Come, come on, man. Say it. Ritz. Ritz. <laughs> you want some crackers? You can have anything you want. You want some crackers? 
<laughs> Get this man some Ritz crackers! Ritz. <laughs> <laughs>